0: We continue in the series, Restore, Revive, and Reform, and this morning, in just a few moments, we will be, uh, I will be sharing a message with you, I've entitled Responding to Opposition from Nehemiah chapters 4 through 6, but first I wanted you to hear this, John MacArthur said, you are the only Bible some, some unbelievers will ever read, and your life is under scrutiny every day. What do others learn from you? Do they see an accurate picture of your God? We're going to read some portion of Nehemiah chapter 4 and Nehemiah chapter 6, just so we get a taste of this passage of Scripture. So, if you have your Bible handy, let me ask you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 4, and we'll read verses 18 to 23. And then we'll turn over to Nehemiah chapter 6 and read verses 1 through 4. Now this is God's Word. We are God's people. So again, let me ask you to join with me as we stand, if you are able, together to read God's Word. In reading first, Nehemiah 4, beginning in verse 18. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist while he was building, and the trumpeter was beside me. That is Nehemiah. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people Work, the work rather, is enormous and spread out, and we are separated far from one another along the wall. Wherever you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work while half of the men were holding spears from daybreak until uh, the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, Let everyone and his servants spend the night inside Jerusalem so they can stand guard by night and work by day. And I, my brothers, my servants and the men of the guard with me never took off our clothes. Each carried his weapon, even when washing. Now, Turn over to chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. When Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that no gap was left in it, though at the time I had not installed doors in the city gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let us meet together in in the villages of the Ono Valley. They were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing an important work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same proposal, and I gave them the same reply. This is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, I ask now that you would open your word to us. As we are here worshiping as one, help us also as we go our separate ways to witness as one to a world that desperately needs to hear your word and about your son Jesus. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The man we know as St. Valentine and the reason we celebrate Valentine's Day has to do with a priest in Rome during the reign of Emperor Claudius II in the 200s A.D. There's two things. Claudius was having a hard time getting men to join the armed forces and to fight because many of them were getting married, and after they married, they didn't want to go off to war somewhere else. And so, Claudius had banned weddings and marriages. Claudius also had a hard time with the growing Christian faith around him, and so he had banned people sharing their faith as Christians with one another. Enter Valentine, this priest... Valentine was not afraid to share his faith, nor was he afraid to perform weddings. And because of that, he got into trouble and was arrested. And he was placed under arrest by the judge Asterius in Asterius' home. While he was imprisoned there, Valentine would regularly share his faith in Jesus with the judge. So the judge finally decided he was going to put Valentine to the test. He had an adopted daughter who was blind. And he brought the little girl to Valentine. And he said, lay your hands on her and pray over her and let's see what happens. And so that's exactly what Valentine did. He laid his hands on her eyes. He prayed to the Lord Jesus for her to receive her sight. And she did. And when that happened, immediately the judge said, Well, what should I do? And once again, Valentine shared the gospel of Jesus with this judge. And this judge and his family, including his daughter, and his household, the servants and and all who made up his household, all received Jesus and were baptized. Right after that, the judge let all of the Christian prisoners free. And so for a time, Valentine was free. But he would not stop sharing the faith, and he would not stop doing weddings, and so eventually he was rearrested, and this time he was sent to the emperor Claudius himself. Now, legend says that Claudius was initially well-pleased with Valentine until Valentine actually shared his faith with the emperor. At that point, Claudius was angered, and he demanded that Valentine... Denounce his faith in Christ. And when Valentine refused to denounce his faith, he was sentenced to death, first to be beat with clubs and then to be beheaded. And that took place on February the 14th, 269 A.D. Now, brothers and sisters, the, the great commandment is this. Jesus said that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. And the second commandment is like it that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. We see, we see that Nehemiah does this. We see the early church do this. And this is the, the foundation of any evangelism and ministry that we do. So, what does this passage say? In Nehemiah chapter 4, we see that Sanballat and those that are with him, and you may remember Sanballat is the governor of Samaria they saw that the work had begun on the wall, and so they ridiculed outwardly, they ridiculed the uh, the building of the wall, but inwardly they were terror- terrified by that, and so they plotted an attack against Jerusalem. Nehemiah heard about that and armed his people who were building the wall so that they carried swords and spears and, um, and bows. And so the once the builders were armed, they set guards and they continued to work. And no attack came. But in Nehemiah chapter 5, we, we read that the people cried out because they, they were borrowing money in order to buy grain to feed themselves, and yet they were being charged interest, and so they could not pay back the loans. And so they also couldn't come back and borrow any more money to, to be fed. And so Nehemiah went to those who were lending the money and said, look, you can't charge interest to these people. And Nehemiah took the allowance that he was getting from the Persian government, and instead of using it on himself, he bought grain for those who were working and made sure they were fed. In Nehemiah chapter 6, we see the return of Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem and, and uh, all of those others, and they kept trying to to draw Nehemiah away from Jerusalem so they could do him in. But each time, and it was up to five times, he told them, why should I come down? I'm doing a great work. So finally, that was all settled because the wall was completed and his enemies were terrified. So what does this passage mean? First we see the power to overcome in Nehemiah chapter 4. And the principle here is this, the Lord gives us the power we need to overcome opposition to his work. You know, Sanballat, Tobiah and their allies um, did not give up after Nehemiah rebuffed them the first time. They continued to try to lay plan after plan, obstacle after obstacle in his way so that Uh, the wall wouldn't be finished. And yet, Nehemiah, in the power of God, overcame all of those obstacles. Now, you've heard the, the old cliche, the best defense is a good offense. In Ephesians 6, verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. You know, when when the Lord is working through us, we must continue forward progress. We must keep up spiritual momentum, and we must never allow the opposition to slow us down. And when we confront problems, Christ followers need to remember, we have the power of the living God living within us and working within our churches. His power never is even challenged by any obstacle that we face. And so we say with the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that is working in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Secondly, we see the prejudice to overcome. And the principle here is the Lord gives us the love we need to overcome internal and external hatred. When Nehemiah heard the plight of these poor people, he was infuriated. But not, not against them, against the people who were making money from their poverty. And what was happening is that their poverty and, and the people taking advantage of it was keeping people away from the work. And because the, the task was of great importance, there was no time for anyone to justify any kind of injustice. So people, the people could not be sacrificed. Satan wants to prevent churches from building strong and spiritual walls. You ever driven past a boarded-up church? It's a sad thing. Especially if that church was once a vibrant, spiritually alive church. And now it sits there with tall grass and boarded-up windows and doors. You know, most likely, that church didn't give in to external pressure and persecution. More than likely... There were various internal disagreements and problems, maybe even petty jealousies that destroyed the church. In Galatians 5, verses 14 and 15, we are reminded, for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. Notice thirdly, the presence that overcomes. We see that in Nehemiah chapter 6. And the principle here is the Lord gives us the discernment we need to overcome personal opposition. Now, Nehemiah's opponents didn't give up. They formulated this scheme to pull him away from Jerusalem so they could kill him. And they thought that if they took out Nehemiah, the work would stop. But God gave Nehemiah, in his grace, he gave Nehemiah discernment. And Nehemiah could see what they're trying to do. And he would not give in to them. He wanted to make sure that the project continued to move forward. And so he prayed that God would deal with his enemies and that his hand would be strengthened to finish the work. Now, now this is truly significant. He didn't attempt to settle the score himself, but left room for God's wrath. Notice that in the very heart of this chapter, chapter 6 of Nehemiah, we see Nehemiah's way of handling these attacks. First, Nehemiah denied the charges made against him. In Nehemiah 6, 8, he says, Then I replied to him, There is nothing to these rumors you are spreading. You are inventing them in your own mind. Secondly, Nehemiah saw the charges for what they were. He says, for they were, uh, they were all trying to intimidate us, saying they will drop their hands from the work and it will never be finished. That's Nehemiah 6, verse 9, the first part. Thirdly, Nehemiah committed the matter to the Lord, but now my God strengthen my hands. And we see that in the, the last part of Nehemiah 6, verse 9. And then he got back to work. You know, meeting out justice is a divine right. One, we have no right to usurp. We do not have to defend ourselves. Our Father in heaven will watch over and take care of us, and he will protect us when we are unfairly attacked. Friends, it says in Romans 12, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So how do I apply these principles to my life? First, let me remind you of what we said in midweek Bible study on Wednesday, um, that the Lord guides to witnesses one through touch. So that Witnesses 1 starts with authenticity, compassion, and sacrifice. Through tools, Witnesses 1 builds on six different approaches, approaches to witnessing based on our spiritual gifts and personalities, and tactics that Witnesses 1 uses numerous tactics to rub shoulders with unbelievers to build His kingdom for His glory. And if you want to go back and review those, you can, you can see those notes. They'll uh, be up at our blog, trailsofgrace.com. But let's move on and see what God has in store for us today. You see, in this episode of Restore, Revive, and Reform, Nehemiah teaches us that we witness as one by using training, talk, and translate to build the Lord's kingdom for the Lord's glory. Notice first, we witness as one by using training to build the Lord's kingdom for the Lord's glory. In Ephesians 6:10 we read finally let the mighty strength of the Lord make you strong. How do we do that? First, we must know who the Lord is. That he is great so that I don't have to be in control. Because Jesus rose from the dead, that He is glorious, so I don't need others' approval. Because Jesus is above every name and every authority, that the Lord is gracious, so I don't need to prove myself. That Jesus did all, to, did it all to make us approved. That the Lord is good, so I don't have to look. I don't have to look anywhere else. Jesus gave us His best, and He is deeply satisfying. Second, we must recall what Jesus did, that He lived a a perfect life, a life that I couldn't live. He died a sacrificial death, a death I could not die for myself. He rose again to show that His sacrifice had been accepted and how to make me righteous in Him. Third, let us remember who we are as a follower of Jesus Christ. We are heirs to all that the Lord owns. We are called to be sons, priests, and ambassadors of the Lord. We are saved from the penalty of sin in the past, from the power of sin in the present, and from the presence of sin in the future. And finally, in taking into account all that we have just said, Let us remember what we do as children, priests, and ambassadors for Christ. That we give selfless acts to help others. That we minister to the needs of others. That we evangelize those who don't know Christ. That we disciple those who do know Christ. And that all of us as followers of Christ display the fruit of the Spirit. That is the the shining of the glory of God and the character of Christ. To a dark world. Secondly, we witness as one using training and talk to build the Lord's kingdom for the Lord's glory. You know, when the Lord is working through us, we must continue forward progress, keep up spiritual momentum, and do not allow opposition to slow us down. In the, the great commandment, which is to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourselves. we see the foundation to the great commission, which is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that Jesus taught us to observe. So this is how witness as one works. First, we are to find the one that the Lord would have us to pray for, and to witness to, to present the gospel to. We find that person in our circles of influence, maybe at at work or at school, maybe in the places that we shop, maybe in the places that we, we play or recreate, maybe in our family, whether that's immediate family or extended family, we find our one Secondly, we set about to do acts of kindness for our one, what we call serve our one. And then, when we have developed a relationship with our one, we start a spiritual conversation with him or her. And this is how you can start a spiritual conversation. You can use the direct method. You might ask, are you a religious person? Or do you have a church that you attend? Or do you believe in God? What do you believe about God? You can use the indirect method. You might bring up a a particular topic that's a hot-button topic of the day and say, what do you think is the solution to that? And then you would present the gospel from there. Or you might use the invitation method. You might invite them to some some, uh, spiritual event, like a worship service and then afterwards have a conversation about the, with them about what was presented at that service or at, a, at that event. Well, you may say, well, what should I say, and how should I say it? Oftentimes you hear people talk about their testimony, and this may be something that lasts for as little as a, a couple of minutes, but maybe lasts for a lot longer. But we can actually recite or give our testimony in 15 seconds. You know, once I was angry and afraid. But then I met Jesus. And I accepted His forgiveness and grace. And I became a follower of Christ. And now I am filled with His hope and His peace. Do you have a story like that? You simply take two words that describe your life before you came to know Jesus. You say, but then I came to know his grace and forgiveness and I became a follower of Christ. And then you, you uh, have two words that describe your life with Christ now. Now, if you're trying to, to uh, get all this stuff down as I'm moving through this, you can go to our website and you'll see that address at the end of this and see how you can download a copy of all this information so you can have it. But next, you need to present not only your story, but also the gospel, the story of Jesus. Now, there's a lot of gospel presentations out there, and sometimes they they require you to memorize a lot of stuff. But there's a gospel presentation I think all of us can use. It's based on John 3.16. And most of us Who've been in the church for a while particularly, know John 3:16, "For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life." In that verse are three particular truths that every, everyone who needs to come to Christ needs to know. The first is this: God loves us, for God so loved the world. The second truth is that Jesus died for our sins. The second part of that verse says that He gave His one and only Son, or His only begotten Son. And finally, the last truth is, salvation is available to you. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now again, we have this information. It's available. We'll We'd be glad for you to go to our website and download it. So let's, let's suppose you, you start this spiritual conversation, you, you give your 15-second testimony, you present the gospel based on John 3, 16, and you get to the end, and the person is interested. What do you do then? Well, you ask a question. Do you understand what I just said? Would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And if they do, you lead them in a prayer of commitment. And you can do that one of two ways. You can actually just pray the prayer one phrase at a time in front of them. So you say a phrase, and then they repeat the phrase after you. Or you can begin with a prayer. Ask them to pray the basic idea of the prayer after you finish that first part of the prayer. And after they're finished you end with a celebratory prayer either way what you need to understand is it's it's what they communicate to the lord about their commitment to him that is of greatest importance not necessarily that they say the exact words the exact way that you do they just need to express that they're sorry for their sins and they want to follow christ they want to be forgiven And they want to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So after that, if they receive Christ, and it's going to be a great and just a tremendously glorious moment, but you need to remember a few things. You need to tell them what comes next. Okay, there are four things they need to do. One, they need to tell somebody else what they have done, that they have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they're now a follower of Christ or a Christ follower. Secondly, they need to start reading their Bible. And that may mean that you need to give them a copy of the Bible. The third thing is you need to help them understand how to continue praying. And fourthly, to sound like Billy Graham, you need to go to church next Sunday. And so that may mean you invite them to come with you, and they can come and sit with you so that they can make that commitment public. Now, we witness as one by using training, talk, and translation to build the Lord's kingdom for the Lord's glory. You know, the word translate means to explain in terms that can be more easily understood or to interpret. Now, a witness translates the teaching of the Christian faith so as to help an unbeliever understand and accept them as God's truth. Unfortunately, in 21st century, in the 21st century, there are still people like Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem that are out there trying to trip us up or trip other people who want to hear the gospel up so that they don't come to faith in Christ. There are some people that have objections. Some of them are heartfelt, and some of them are just shields so that they don't have to give up their ungodly attitudes or actions. Uh, It may be a shield for a guilty conscience or some spirit-led conviction on their behalf. So here are a few arguments along with uh, an easy-to-follow answer. Some people might say, well, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. Uh, By making this statement, they're really saying that their viewpoint, which is relativism, is universally true and that is contradicting in and of itself if something is true for you but it's not true for me and that's the truth you're you're trying to to then, then that's true what you're saying is true it's a universal truth it doesn't work secondly some people may say people claim that JFK and Elvis are alive too Yeah, but you know, uh, the New Testament and the truth that it presents is is, is among some of the best, if not the best, supported historical documents in the world. So when we say that Jesus is alive, there's a lot of historical evidence that goes to back that up, as opposed to the claims that JFK and Elvis are still alive. We can be good without God. Let's think about it this way. If God is the source of good, and we take God out of the equation, how do we know what good is? It would be the same as trying to, if we were fish, trying to figure out whether we were wet or not. We wouldn't have anything to judge by. Nature alone doesn't give people morals doesn't help them to to act ethically. And it doesn't give rise to a sense of human dignity. As a matter of fact, it just just does just the opposite. All religions are basically the same. <laughs> well you try telling that to a, a Muslim or a Buddhist. Buddhists don't believe in any God, or if they do, it's one of the Hindu gods. Um Someone who is a Muslim would not agree that we worship the same God as they do. So you see, all religions are not basically the same. We're not basically heading in the same direction. Only Jesus, who promised to die and come back from the dead, and did exactly that, gives us a sense of hope for the future, and gives us a sense of aspiration to the human race. Some people may say, who are you to impose your morality on others? Here again, when you denounce imposing morality, you are actually imposing morality. You are saying, well, your morality is not good, but mine is. You're actually doing exactly the opposite of what you're trying to say. You know there are certain basic things that all of us, whether we're Christian or Muslim or atheist or whatever, there are some things that all of us intuitively recognize as basically moral. Taking others' lives, especially if it's mine or yours, is immoral. We need to take into account what Peter taught us in First Peter chapter three verses fourteen to seventeen. He said, But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is within you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. The bottom line here is we witness as one by using training, talk, and translation to build the Lord's kingdom for the Lord's glory. You know, in my devotion this past Wednesday, I came across this verse. For every one of God's promises is yes in Christ. Therefore, through Him, we also say amen to the glory of God. And that's 2 Corinthians 1.20. So, it made me curious... So I started to check it out. And I came across this statement by John Piper, which I will read. All the promises of God for the good of his people focus in Christ. He confirms them and secures them and, as it were, purchases them for all who belong to him, for all who believe. Galatians 3:22. Every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all his needs finds God coming to him in Christ with all his promises. When a sinful person meets the Holy God in Christ, what he hears is yes. Do you love me? Yes. will you forgive me? Yes, will you accept me? Yes. Yes. Will you help me change? Yes. Will you give me power to serve you? Yes. Will you keep me? Yes. Will you show me your glory? Yes. All the promises of God, all the blessings of God in the heavenly places are yes in Christ Jesus. Jesus is God's decisive yes to all who believe. Now, that is huge, great good news. Good news for you and for me. But you know, it's not just good news for you and for me. If we have that good news, that good news we dare not keep to ourselves. It is good news for all the world. So as we have worshipped here as one today, let us now go into the world to witness as one this week. And if you're hearing this or listening to this and seeing me this morning and you're not following Christ as Lord, if you will turn to Him and follow Him, His answer to you will be a resounding yes. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank You for Your grace. I thank You for Your love for us. And Father, I do pray For all those out there who may be hearing this or watching this, that if they're outside of Christ, if they're an unbeliever, if they have no religious affiliation, none that makes any sense to them, none that they're willing to follow, that they would say yes to you so that they would hear you say yes to them. That they would turn from their sin and selfishness and turn to Christ Ask him for forgiveness and receive by faith your grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life of purpose in following Christ. Now, there are others out there that have accepted Christ but haven't followed him. That they would say yes to him again, rededicate themselves to following him and hear the yes from him once again. Father, I pray that you would help us to dedicate ourselves to the rebuilding of the church and to the extension of the kingdom of God by sharing the gospel with one person. And once, once we come to a place where we have shared the gospel with that person and they have accepted Christ as their Savior, that we turn and we we take up another one and we share the gospel with that person, but we also help the other person To learn how to share the gospel with someone else. That the kingdom would be extended. Not for our own glory. Not for our own kingdom. But for your glory and for your kingdom's sake. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you prayed a prayer like that, I would love to talk to you. I would love to help you hear God say yes to you. So you'll see on your screen now how you can get in touch with me. Please. I, I can't say this often enough, and I can't say it this emphatic enough. Please get in touch with me. I would love to hear from you. This brings us to the end of our service. And let me say, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all we could ask or thank according to the power that is at work in us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.